Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Glad to be joined by my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. And also what a privilege it is to have on as this week's guest, an absolute legend of the game. She's won 18 major singles titles. She reached the semifinals or better in 52 of the 56 majors she played, including the semifinals or better of 34 consecutive majors entered from the 1971 U.S. Open through the 1983 French Open. You know her from her work from Tennis Magazine, along with her commentary on ESPN. Please welcome to the pod, Chris Everett. Chris, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on tonight. Thank you, David, and thank you, Steve. This is going to be fun. It will so be, before yeah. we get started, I know I know Steve has something to say about that 34 semis or, or, or better streak. There, there you go, Steve. Chrissy, you're, you're, I, here we go. This is going to be like old times because I want you to tell me who broke the streak. You went all the way from, from your first major at the U.S. Open in 71, the great match against Marianne Eisler, saving the six match points, losing to Billie Jean in the semis. And from that point on, as David just mentioned, from the, through the French of 83, you never lost before the semis. So you went to Wimbledon in 83. Who spoiled the streak? Kathy Jordan. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Kathy, I, I remember my law. I don't remember my wins. I remember my losses. But can you I just remember, say, I, have an excuse, I have an excuse for that loss. <laughs> I was going to say, tell, tell David, because I well remember the reason. But what, tell yeah. David and the listeners what happened. Well, you know, and at that time, I never said a word. But of course, now, you know, when you get into your 60s, I think you can say yeah. anything you want. You have, you have free reign to say anything you want. Nobody can judge you. But um, I had a, a good friend of mine, uh, Kathy Smith, was staying with me uh, at Wimbledon. And she's like she was like queen of the fitness um, world. And she was taking some vitamins because she was she was needed niacin. She was she was depleted of her niacin. And she was taking an extra amount. So the night before I played, I just I was happy. I was in the kitchen. I saw all of her little her little vitamins together. And I go, you know, I, I didn't even know that, you know, you could overdose on niacin. So I took too much niacin and I just was speeding around the house, flushed all over. Um, I, I, my heart was palpitating. And then I finally got sick to my stomach all night. And, you know, I just, I overdosed on niacin. And that, what, what can I tell you nowadays? Uh, you probably can't even take nice and I don't know with the, with the, with the um, you know, the laws, I mean, the, the rules in the tennis world, but it just shows you, it just shows you, I learned a big lesson. You just, you just can't take, you know, vitamins or minerals that you don't know anything about. So anyway, the next day I had, you know, I felt like, you know what, and um, I just had no energy and, you know, I mean, I'm, Look, I don't think Kathy Jordan will care that, you know, if I talk about it now, but I mean, at the time it, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't really wouldn't have been nice to, to talk about it. But the other thing that quickly that uh, David, that Chrissy, I think probably doesn't remember is that that if she would have won that event, won oh. that one, it would have been four majors in a row. She that you were in the, that, that was a unique position. You'd won the 82 open, and then you'd won the Australian, the end wow. of the year beat Martina in the Australian then came and won the French. And now this was a chance for four in a row. So that was a, that was a, a really serious mistake 
Well, it was a serious, it was a serious mistake, but chances were I wasn't going to win Wimbledon if I had to play Martina, because as you know, Steve, she was, um, she had my number on grass and she beat me so many times and had such a great grass court game. And I don't think I probably would have given myself like a 20% chance to, to beat her. So, um, you know, it is what it is. I well, like that picture the, uh... behind you. The Steve Flink uh, is that the Hall of Fame? Yeah, we're gonna get to that, Chris. We're gonna get to we're gonna Very get to good. that. No, we're just, gonna... You placed it just perfectly, Steve. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're, we're that's strategic planning by our part. We're gonna get to the Hall of Fame stuff in a little bit. Um, yeah. all right, we got we got the painful stuff out of the way. All good stuff from here on out, Chrissy. Um, I know 2022 was a challenging year for a lot of people, including yourself. You look great, by the way. Um, I just want to ask you. Obviously, you, you you went through a challenging year. How are you feeling health-wise? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was quite a year. It was um, uh, a lot of surgeries and chemotherapy. And, um, you know, I just at my age, you know, I think you can probably react a little bit, bounce back a little bit quicker when you're younger. So I, I was tired, you know, most of the time. But no complaints um, because, you know, I'm 100% clear of all cancer right now. And um, I actually, I have, I have the BRCA gene, which um, had a mutation. And so that affects, you know, not only the ovaries, but also breast cancer. And um, I've had an MRI and I'm clear in both areas. So it was, it was a tough year, but you know, I mean, I've been blessed with great health my whole life. Why should I be any different than any other person, you know, in their, in their sixties or whatever, you know, it's, it look what's going on with Martina now. And, um, it's just, um, you know, when you get older, you, you, you have to realize that these things can happen and that's why you just have to be vigilant and, and getting all of your, you know, just making all of your yearly appointments and getting genetic testing. And, you know, I just learned a lot about, about being proactive in the health field. Well, like I said, you, you look great. You, you look fantastic. And thank you for sharing that and prayers up again um, to one of your really good friends. And we're going to get to that as well in this conversation, Martina, I mean, between both of you, two of the strongest people out there, no doubt, um, you know, you're, you're on the up and up and she's going to be on the up and up very soon uh, as well too. So she will be. Before we dive into, um, I want to transition a little bit into your relationship with Martina, and that's going back to that Friday night in September with with Roger and Rafa. And to me, um, I, I want to hear your thoughts, maybe talk about the differences, your relationship with Martina um, that Roger and Rafa had during their careers, because that Friday night it, at Labor Cup was was a culmination. Oh, Labor Cup. Okay, I was trying yeah. to think what Friday night you're talking about. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> That Am Friday night in Labor or? Cup, yeah, okay. I apologize for that. That Friday night in okay. Labor Cup was a culmination of, of an unbelievable friendship with both of them playing on tour. Obviously, that friendship's going to continue. In an individual sport like tennis, it's got to be so, so difficult to be really, really close with someone who's as close as the top of the rankings. You're both competing for the highest of stakes. You and Martina did not have that relationship during the most competitive years that developed a lot later um, for Roger and Rafa, you just don't see that, especially in an individual sport. Maybe you get it. If someone's ranked one and someone's ranked 
100. Maybe that person isn't as much of a threat. And maybe you're able to break those walls down a little. But these both these guys were competing at the highest of stakes. How crazy and great was that to see? And then talk about how your relationship with Martina was a little bit different and developed later. Um, boy, that's a loaded question. Um, first of all, it was great to see uh, Rafa and Roger, a very touching, very emotional moment. Um, and Roger was a big, um, you know, ingredient in Rafa's career. And I think like Martina was a, a real, you know, a big uh, thing in my career as far as um, our rivalry sometimes overshadowed our individual accomplishments in that rivalry because it, I think it brought you know, different people into the game of tennis, people that weren't tennis oriented. Um, it brought uh, the outside people who were just fascinated with, with the different personalities, the different, um, you know, styles of tennis. So, I mean, a lot of similarities, you know, Rafa was a baseliner like me and Martina and Roger could do everything. And, and, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Rafa w- was mentally probably a little tougher than Roger and, you know, I, I kind of prided myself on on the mental strengths in my game because I wasn't the, the, the physical athlete that a lot of these these women were. So it was it was unbelievable. But, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting that you said that. But I don't I don't know. You know, I don't know the history of Rafa and, and Roger in the beginning of their career or the middle. I don't know. I don't know if anybody remembers um, I, I think they got closer at the end, you know, just like Martina and I did, because after a while, you're the only ones left in the locker room on a Sunday, you know, you're in the finals and you're the only, you're the only two. So you kind of, at, at, at one point you look over and you see that that person's a human being, you know, they're just not a tennis player. They're just not your competitor. They're not the enemy. They're a human being. And, you know, their family, they have families and they have loved ones and they have, have faults and they have strengths and and after a while it's like you just kind of look at each other and you kind of laugh you know because it's it's really <laughs> you know it's 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 really as I get older it's really silly not to be friends with your opponents I mean it really is life is too short it's a game it's a sport for heaven's sakes so Martina and I you know for 18 years competed against and like I said met in the finals or semis Saturday and Sunday, we'd be in the locker room and, and we'd have to talk about each other in the press room all the time and play each other. Um, and, you know, she's got it. Hopefully she sees that this in me, but I, what I see in her is, you know, especially at the end when I open myself up to actually looking at her as, you know, a human being, she's got a big heart and she's a good person and she um, speaks her truth. And, you know, all of these things, it took me a while to really see, you know, the, the person after competing. Cause I kind of put myself in a little shell. I, I didn't want, I was the kind of player that didn't really want to get too close to my opponents. But when I, when I finally opened up and opened up my heart to her, um, you know, we were, and, and, and we, at the end of, at the end of our career, we were able to separate the two on, uh, on the court and off the court. And maybe I was a little immature in the beginning and couldn't separate the two. It's developed into an amazing uh, friendship, obviously. And I want to now get into the rivalry with Martina. I'm going to really pass this to Steve because he knows it is better as, as good as anyone outside of probably you and Martina. Um, 
you know, you played 80 times, included 60 finals. I'm going to just pass it on to Steve. He'll, he'll dive deeper into this one. Chrissy, you probably, I don't know how many, a lot of us have said, I'm, I've never heard you talk about this, but we've heard, I know Bud Collins felt this way. I know Mary Carrillo feels this way. I, I know a number of other people in the sport and, and people, sports followers outside of tennis who think that your rivalry not only is the greatest tennis rivalry, men, men's or women's that we've had, but that it even surpasses the likes of Yale Harvard football, which is celebrated every November, historic Ivy League rivalry, that foot, the game, they call it, Ali Frazier in boxing, where they had three really memorable battles. There are a lot of people that really, and I include myself in that category. How do you feel when you hear about comparisons like that? And how, how, do, you, how do you put the rivalry into context? Because we, we're looking at 14 major finals, 22 meetings in the, in the majors all together. As David just said, 80 all together. Martina won 43, you won 37. Both of you had dominant stretches. Put it into context from your perspective, someone who lived it. Well, first of all, the first question, <clears throat> I mean, that you asked is how do I feel about it? I'm honored, you know, very honored um, to be amongst those rivalries. I, I can't say you know, it, it's like, who's the greatest player of all time? I mean, it, it, you can't really, I, I, to be in that group is, is enough for me. And, and, and is, um, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in that. As you know, I don't follow other sports that well. I'm not, I really wasn't in the trenches with, you know, the, the, the football and uh, um, box, the boxing rivalry was, oh, that was actually was that in like in the 60s, 70s? That was, that I was probably, 70s, yeah. I did, I mean, but Muhammad Ali, I mean, not the biggest name in sports ever. Um, so I, I feel very, very honored. And I think, I think that, um, you know, one thing Martina and I did do was we brought, like I said, we brought new eyes to into the sport and new ears. And, you know, people were talking about our rivalry and people were taking sides and, she had her set of fans. I had my set of fans and they'd all come together. And, and, um, you know, it, it was, uh, we, that rivalry transcended tennis, you know, just very much like Serena Williams has transcended tennis and, you know, Roger and Rafa has have transcended tennis. I mean, great rivalries are great or great champions, um, are going to elevate the game and going to change it and enhance it forever. And I was, I'm just so happy. I mean, I can't even imagine not having had that rivalry with Martina. I don't know what would have happened to my tennis. I don't know if I would have gotten bored, retired early, um, fizzled away. I mean, I don't know what I would have done. I don't, I, that is such a major part of my career, my memories of tennis. And, um, you know, I'm just so thankful that we had it. Steve also wanted to, Steve was, Steve and I were talking about this before as we were prepping and, and he had an interesting thought. Obviously you played Martine a lot more than you played Steffi, but Steve, I know you wanted to ask her about uh, when Chrissy competed against Steffi and how she felt about those. Well, now, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had it really, it was interesting. I, Cause I do want you to compare a little Martine and Steffi are obviously considered right up there among the all time greats and, and yeah. neglected, neglected by many when, when the talk is about Serena, but they're, they're right in the conversation. So 
just yes. wondered how you felt about what it was, who was the tougher one at their very best uh, on a, almost on a, on a surface by surface. I know it's hard, but like take yeah. it even on different surfaces, Steffi on clay, Martina on grass, hard courts. It, they're very, it's very hard for you to compare, but you were able to see Steffi climbing the ladder and then surpassing you at the end. Um, and didn't play her nearly as many times, 13 meetings, and you won the first six, you won the last seven. So you were watching her improve significantly. And I, I still remember, by the way, you saying to me, and David, we would have these off-the-record conversations, and Chrissy was in Florida and had just lost to Steffi. And she, we were walking along toward the interview room, and she turned to me and she said, what are we going to do about this girl? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because you were so impressed with that, that and you would do that. You would be yeah. honest about what you were up against. So compare yeah. the two of them as someone who, who competed on such a high level against both and had so many memorable matches against both. Well, I agree with you. I, I mean, when I think of the all-time greats, I think Serena, Steffi, Martino, the three are really stand out. Um, oh, Steve. You know, I think my game was um, at my best and at their best. My game was um, I had I had more success against Martina because, you know, she had a great serve, but I had I had a great return of serve and I had great passing shots and. And she had um, her backhand was the weaker side, and I would and I could just keep hitting that backhand. And I, you know, I just I just feel like my game was for success was better suited playing her. Um, Steffi, you know, Steffi, I I, I thought I was going to say to you, how the heck am I ever going to beat this woman? Because <laughs> She, every she was better than me in every aspect you know she was a better athlete she she had a big forehand she had a big serve she moved beautifully um and she came up at the end of my career when right. I was like like uh you know she came up at the end of my career the last you know I think my 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 best tennis was really when I was around 30, you know, 28, 30 to 30. And, and I retired when I was 34 and Steffi came at the end of my career. So I was kind of going down, she was coming up and she, you know, so I, I got her really in Martina at different times in my career. So I would I, also add just from the outside looking yeah. in, Chrissy, like the, yeah. when you have a contrasting style like you had against Martina, yes. there's areas right. where you can go and attack versus when you're with someone who has exactly. a similar style, but they're just maybe better than a you at better. that yeah. same style. That's a yeah. bad matchup. You're absolutely right. I, I had um, my strengths could sometimes go into her weaknesses. And with Steffi, it was like, I mean, the only, if I were to say one weakness, the only side I felt comfortable with hitting to was the backhand because she just she would just slice but I mean even the slice was great and it was low and but um at least it wasn't it didn't blow me off the court but her forehand did and 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 I could I could um pretty much um 
diffuse Martina as, as great a forehand as she had. I could diffuse that. And on clay, you know, on clay, it was easier for me to play Martina than it was to play Steffi. I had I, I expressed that very poorly, but no, no, I, 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 I get that's it. clear. But but tell us. I, I'm not asking you to take a bold stand here, but in a way, I guess I, guess I am. But in this, you just alluded to it. Most people are sort of looking at Serena, Steffi, Martina, and that's the debate. Uh, and, 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 and well, let me just put it in this sense. There were a lot of people at the open when Serena bid farewell that were kind of automatically giving to her. I, as, as a longtime observer, that disturbed me a bit that there was nobody else in the conversation. That when the, when the announcements were made to, for Serena to come out on the court, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest tennis player of all time, Serena Williams, as opposed to arguably or perhaps. Yeah. So as someone like you, Chrissy, who believes so yeah. much in consistency and prided yourself on your own consistency, don't you feel that the two of them were more consistent than Serena, that that's part of the uh, argument? This is my answer when people ask me this, because this is like a tough question. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Serena at her best is is was was Serena at her best was better than anybody was better than anybody but if you're saying who has the most accomplished career I think Steffi and Martina have a more accomplished career I think where Serena excels is just the number of Grand Slam titles but that's not everything you know, that's Martina played singles, doubles mixed. You know, Martina won more tournaments than anybody. Um, Steffi won the Golden Slam, you know, four Grand Slams and the Olympics. Uh, Steffi, her, when, boy, some of those years were dominant when she was number one. Um, and, and yeah, so I think, look, I think every generation has better players, Steve. I mean, sorry, but. Any sport, Chrissy. You can any make that sport. argument I mean, any sport. I remember Mark Spitz was like won seven gold medals and he was like, you know, the greatest ever. And then like 20 years later, the women are are breaking his record. Okay. Women swimmers were breaking his record. So it's just logical with all the science and the physicalities and all this new information coming out about, you know, how to be in better shape and how to train better and how to think better, to be smarter on the court, percentage tennis. I think with all that information, every era um, has that, that, um, that luxury of, of being better because of, those because of those elements that I just named. And so I really, I've seen, I've seen Serena play some matches where I thought, okay, I mean, she was overpowering her opponent. She was acing, greatest serve ever. She was consistent. She was focused. She was, you know, disciplined and constant. You know, everything clicked for her. And I'm like, nobody in the past could have ever beaten her at her best. And I, and I stand by that. But that'd be, and, a, that'd be a fun match to see Steffi and And in saying that, I applaud Steffi and Martina because I think they had more accomplished careers in the sense that they, they played more, they're more consistent. They won more. Uh, you know, that. 
Now that would be fun. Get... That would be fun, Steve, seeing Steffi at her best, play Serena at her best. That's oh, right. absolutely. <laughs> now, Chrissy, uh, to kind of get back to the, in a way, you kind of leading into my next next. You've almost answered it already, but I want you to answer it anyway. And that's the that's as follows. You you had more. You had seven years at the top. You know, if we started it, it starting in seventy four, and the last one was eighty one. So most your biggest years in a lot of ways were in the late in the late 70s, were in the 70s into the early 80s. And then Martino in, in you were number one and number two year after year. And but don't you believe looking back at the way you played that you actually were a better player in the 80s than you were in the 70s, despite yes. the fact you didn't have as much success and explain why. Graphite, well, that's, rack, that's the point. That's the point I want to make. I mean, I was number yeah. one in the seventies, but I was a better player in the eighties, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I wasn't number one, you know, maybe at yeah. times I was number three or four, you know, because Monica was starting to come up and Steffi and then there's Martina. So um, 100%, I think that players push one another to a higher limit um, to a higher level. I think, um, I think you're as, you're as good as your competition so in other words, if you have really good competition in your era, then you're going to become better player. You're going to become a better player because you're going to be pushed more and you're going to realize that you've got to change a few things, maybe put a little more topspin on shots, maybe, maybe put a little more power behind your serve, you know, maybe improve your movement. I mean, you know, I think you learn more from losing than you do from winning. And when you're winning and you're coasting along, I don't feel like I, that's when, when I improved, I improved more when I was losing because it just hit me in the head. Like, God, if I'm going to ever beat this girl, you know, I, I better change a few things and I better work on my game a little bit more. We could work on my weaknesses. My serve was mediocre. I could work on that. I could work my, my movement, you know, could get better. And I worked on that. So, um, but you're right. I did. I, I played, you know, just my last two French opens, I think, you know, with some of the best tennis I played 85 and 86. True. Well, well, uh, very well stated, Chris. You know, we will talk about a couple of storylines coming up in this year's Australian open, but before I think the listeners would be interested um, in your friendship with the other person on this column, Mr. Steve Flink, because you guys go back quite <laughs> a long ways. I mean, you wrote a forward for his book. You were a huge part in his induction to the Tennis Hall of Fame in 2017. And I'll let you and Steve kind of play off this together. How did your friendship start and, and how did it all begin? Because I know you guys are still close. Both of you are still close to this day, obviously. Well, Steve is my memory. <laughs> Steve Flink is my memory. He would go into press conferences with me and I would be asked a question about a previous match or and, or a score, and I would have no clue. And I turned to him and I go, Steve, what's, what can you answer that for them? And so Steve was my, he was my memory. Um, but I remember him um, early, just the beginning of my career at Forest Hills, you know, and I, I when he, how, okay, Steve, I'm going to ask you, um, what year, like, was your first year of covering, of being a journalist? Well, I was, you know, I, 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 73 was when I was breaking in. And that's, of course, okay. when I interviewed you at Roland Garros. David, I interviewed Chrissy at the 73 Roland Garros. To just, this will give you an idea of how different things were back then. Players and press and how the whole thing was handled. At this point, Chrissy didn't have an agent. 
she's, you know, she, she's playing her first French Open. She gets to her first major final there. She's still 18 years old. And I'm trying to break in as a reporter. I'd met your mother. You, you didn't know that, but I had. I'd met your yeah. uncle. Your uncle, Joe Sinnott, had become okay. a pastor. Used to have lunch with him in New York, and he was always raving about you. But I did this on my own. I was over there, and I was staying with a family, and I just came up to you after the quarters, and I said, can I do an interview with you for World Tennis Magazine? And, and you said, all right, after the match tomorrow, just come by the court. You just told me to meet you walking off the court after this, <laughs> which okay. I did. And, and David, it was very funny. She said... I, I met Chrissy after the match and we started walking back toward the lounge and you'll, you won't remember this. You said, okay, 10 minutes. <laughs> 10 minutes, <laughs> well, I'll turn me, into a, a lifetime were, of friendship here. You were laying down the law of the land. You said 10 minutes, I said, fine. And I took 22 minutes. I, I, was, I was all business back then, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, but, but, you, but you, you, you let me have my time. Once you saw that the questions were reasonable, yeah. we, as so often is the case, I think you lost track of the time. And I didn't really look that closely either until the interview was done. But that became my first published piece and in, in the magazine, the August issue of 73. And, but I would just I'll let Chrissy comment on this, David. But then I think over time, yeah, Chrissy knew that I was how much... I knew about her record and I had this memory and I could bail her out of these situations in press conferences if she didn't know. But also there was a rapport and there was a certain kind of mutual respect that developed because she saw that yeah. I was very passionate about the sport and also saw I was very sympathetic to her because as, as, as the friendship was growing, Chrissy was going, was going through, a, in the 70s there became the dominant force and it really, it really hurts you, actually. You probably don't remember it that well now, but in the period of, say, 75, 76, when the crowds, they didn't turn, they weren't nasty, they weren't vitriolic, but they did root a lot for your opponents. And you'd go to those indoor tournaments and they'd cheer for your opponents. I know. And, I know. and, and, and you would speak, and, and we got into some conversations about this, David, that weren't interviews, they were just phone conversations. And you would you would kind of vent with me and and... And I would just say to you, look, there are a lot of people out there that care. Don't lose sight of that. These people are rooting for the underdog. Yeah. Don't worry about it. But I, but I saw a side of you that I don't think other, a lot of other reporters had seen. You were talking that way to me. You would never have said that in a press conference. No. But I found no. that I, I, I was very sympathetic to that, David, that somebody as, as, as great as Chrissy, who carried herself the way she did, was was uh had that sensitivity and trying to figure out why the fans would do that and it wasn't easy because you were of course conducting yourself with a lot of dignity out there you weren't antagonizing the fans but they weren't always that kind maybe not nasty but not that kind well so they, that, yeah like i i don't mean to interrupt but i i, I think no. that obviously i understand now but and when you're you know you're kind of sensitive and you're like why are they against me and and you're young but now you know, after a while, you understand if you're number one, you know, they always want to see a match. They want to see, they want to see the underdog do well. They feel yep. sorry for the person who's playing the, the dominant person. Now, I understand that, but <clears throat> so, and just, you know, Steve, I remember him in the early seventies and going at grand slam events. And um, yeah, we, we had, <clears throat> it wasn't just a reporter player relationship. We had, we were friends 
And, you know, I could sense that he was pulling for me. But what I what I really liked about Steve is when he was a prominent, you know, writer for World Tennis at that time, what I really liked was that he was very fair when he wrote articles about my matches with Martina or my matches with Steffi. And, you know, he was not, I mean, his, his writing, you wouldn't know. It wasn't, it wasn't slanted, you know, it wasn't tilted in my favor. He was very fair to both players, but I always, you know, you, look, we were buddies. He liked my tennis. I think you like my style. I think you're, I'm pretty conservative. You're pretty conservative. And, uh, you know, and I think it just, um, you, you, like you said, you got to know my, my family and, and, uh, and, you know, it was, it was a really, it was a great, it was a great relationship. And it still is, you know, I think that's the, the sign of a good relationship is that you still have it even after you retire, you yeah. know, and we've, we've kept in touch and, and uh, you know, it's, I thank you for, for all the support you gave me over the years. I appreciate it. Uh, no, I appreciate, no, I appreciate both of you. David, I, you know, I appreciate it, both of you going into it. Um, Steve, I know you have some more thoughts. Yeah, no, you. I mean, those, the, 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 the Chrissy's right. And I think it, 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 it grew out of mutual respect. And, but where, where she's also right is I didn't have to worry, not only with the writing, Chrissy, but sometimes with the television. I would be on the air calling her matches for Madison Square Garden Network at the Women's Championships in the Garden. And sometimes I had to say things like, Martina's really picking on Chrissy's second serve. Look at this. She's actually chipping and charging off her first serve. I would say these things because it was my job. And she might, and you might kid me later about that stuff, <laughs> but, but you understood. So that, you know, I think it worked out really well is that I could do my job. I could be professional. I could be dispassionate in, in those situations, yeah. but then we, we still could have in, enjoy the friendship. No, I want to, I appreciate both of you talking about it because I know there's, there's years and years of, uh, of friendship there. So thank you both for sharing. Um, Australia, it's coming up really, really soon. And there's some storylines and, and obviously on the men's side, Novak Djokovic, right? Last year, it was just a whole debacle with everything that happened. He's obviously in, in Australia now. He's looking as strong as ever. Even if Carlos Alcaraz was in the field, unfortunately, he had to withdraw because of injury. Um, even though Carlos is number one in the world, I think everybody still thinks Novak is the best player in the world. Um, in Australia, you, you, he, he, is he the strong favorite, Chrissy, to, to take another title in Australia? He's won the thing a bazillion times. Yeah, <laughs> I think he, he's a favorite. Um, you know, the thing about Novak is, um, you know, in his game and in his in, in, physically, mentally, and emotionally, there's no weakness you know he's so strong in all three and very rarely is a player like a 10 out of 10 in all three of those when you check them off you know it might be 10 here eight here six here whatever but the way that Novak um, can number one sustain great tennis and the way that he when it gets close he goes to another stratosphere when it gets close, nine out of ten times, you know he's going to pull out the tiebreak, or he's going to. Oh, I, I say to Steve all the time. I don't know if he has the best tiebreak record in history, yeah. but he's the most clutch tiebreak player in the history of the game. The most clutch player, period. Yeah. I mean, if, if if he's down two sets to love, and he's he he's down two sets to love, and he's up a break in the third, he's he's going to win the match. You know, it's like he's so dependable and reliable. Yeah. 
and he still. And I say to Steve on the tiebreakers, Chrissy, the, the three things that I always focus on is he, one, he just, he will not miss two. He gets aggressive at big targets and three, he'll make the opponent eventually go for something that their opponent, the opponent is just not comfortable doing and eventually will cause an error. And he does that time and time and time again in tiebreakers. And it's unbelievable in those moments. But well, also, it's unbelievable go- too to me, uh, Christy, the other day, I mean, you know, he played a, uh, he played a, in Adelaide, a, a great semifinal against Medvedev. And then he's playing Korda for the first time. And Korda played a, a tremendous match against him. But there's Novak at match point down, coming to the net, putting away an overhead. He eventually wins the tie and plays a perfect tie break and then closes him out in the third. You could see, you know, he, he was agitated. He was out of sorts. He was, he was annoyed with himself for sort of chiding his box. He wanted somebody to leave his box after the first set because he was so upset with how he was playing. And he kind of apologized to them in the presentation ceremony. But it seems to me that even when he's in that state, gets back to your point about the, the three areas of mental, mental, physical, and um, emotionally, that he, he still finds a way, you know, he, 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 even on days when he's irritated and, and, and just not happy with how he's playing. He was not entirely happy with how he played against Corda. Is that another trait? Because that's something you had and all the great players have winning on your bad days, as well as your best days. It, It happens so quickly, the transition, he can be playing badly and he could be, you know, wanting his box, his player box to, you know, sometimes he'll say, you know, get up and, and show a little more excitement or leave or whatever. You can tell he's getting upset and the match will go on. And then something happens where <clears throat> he hits one great shot or the opponent makes two errors in a row. And boy, you can see that match switch around in no, in no time, yeah. no time. And Serena, Serena would used to do that too. Serena did. did that did. very well. She yeah. did that very well. It's like, you know, you play Serena, same thing, and the player would play so great. Oh, set in the break. Oh, oh, but you never counted her out um, because it would just be one point and that yell, and you knew she was going to win the match. And I think it's the same thing with Novak. He, I don't know, he really gets himself in a, such a state, mental state of, of discipline and focus like nobody else. And, um, you know, I just think he's, you know, he's different than any other champion, I think. I, I've never seen that high a level of emotional and mental brilliance, um, discipline, and, and focus. I really haven't seen that in any other player. Well said. Steve, I, I know you have, uh, you have some thoughts on the, on the women's field as well, two players in particular. Well, yeah. I mean, let, let's, talk, let's, let's talk, Chrissy, about Australia. And I mean, look, looking ahead, to, without even focusing on two players, let's just talk about the field and your thoughts going in. Uh, and, and number one with Sriantec, she, you know, she took a, she lost in the team competition pretty badly to Pagula. We've seen some more ups and downs as, as opposed to the first half of last year where she was unbeatable and won 37 matches in a row, yet she still seems to be the one to beat. And the second one I would single out, the other one I'm also fascinated to hear you talk about is Anz Jabor, who's always so much fun to watch, whether or not maybe this can be the breakthrough after she gets to two major finals last year. But talk about the two of them, but then the field and how you 
how you assess it going in? Well, when you said- I'll just say said, the draw is not out yet. As of this recording, the draw is not out yet. The draw is so. not out yet. I, the thing, I mean, Iga, I'm sorry, she only played one tournament, right? Before the Australian? I mean, that's like, she's only yeah, played she, one tournament, yeah. right? Before the Australian. So, so it's hard to really, you know, gauge where she is. I mean, Jesse Pagula played the match of her life. And I mean, I mean that not, I mean that Adam, uh, I'm admiring the way that she played. Um, she took it to Iga. And I haven't seen any players do that where she played Iga's game better than Iga. And she got ahead in the point and she was the aggressive one and she took her chances and, and made everyone. And um, Iga, like you said, Iga was, you know, very upset and emotional. And, and um, but I still think, I still think Iga is the favorite, the favorite. I mean, I think she's the favorite. And I think if she plays Jesse again, she will have learned from that match and it might be a different result. Um, but kudos to Jesse for <laughs> unbelievable tennis. Reminded me of this, the uh, Simona match at Wimbledon against, against Serena. I mean, just, yeah, it, yeah. it was a perfect match. It was a perfect match. Um, Ons, you know, Ons, She's very, she came, I was reading some of her press conferences and she's very, very positive about, you know, I, I came so close last year, maybe should have won a major, but I came so close and, and I'm ready. You know, I've waited long enough. I'm ready. I'm tired of getting the finals and, and, um, you know, definitely she's got a good shot at it. Um, I don't think you can count her out. I, I like, um, I like the way Jesse is playing Pagula. I liked the way Madison Keys looked, and I liked the way Coco Coco Golf looked. You know, she just I mean, won a tournament. Really, really, uh, pretty you know, straightforward. It's, it's a new year. Everybody's fresh. Everybody's put in their training. Maybe some of them have different attitudes. Maybe some of them are hungry, hungrier now than they were last year. And um, just like the state of women's tennis the last ten years, I think it's still unpredictable. I still think there's you know, you can't, before it was always, oh, there's only one or two players that could win in different eras. But now, I mean, there's, you know, I, I mean, say this, but with, from past history in the last couple of years, it's like 15 players could win a major, you know, which is, you just wouldn't think that would be possible, but it is. Didn't happen in one era versus Martina. There wasn't 15 players when with you and Martina, there was two. Or, <laughs> or Steffi and, uh, you know, or oh, when Steffi was playing and, and um, you know, it, it just was, it, it was either one player dominated, like Serena pretty much dominated. Serena didn't have any, any rivalries really in her career. She dominated or there would be a Steffi Monica or a Chris Martina or, you know, Billie Jean, Margaret Court, or, you know, there would be specific rivalries, but now it's, it's all, it's uh, it's all open to, and what is the reason for that? I mean, that is, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, don't you think that, that it's, it's hard to pinpoint, but at least with Sviantec last year, we saw her win a couple of majors. I thought that was a good thing for the women's game. You, the, the majors were divided, but she got on the board twice and won her second French and won the U.S. And somehow I think that, that that's a good thing when we can have the top players winning more than one major in a year. And, yeah. and I thought that was good. But Chrissy, your thoughts on Coco 
people have been in kind of a hurry to see her develop. They forget how young she is. I know. Uh, how do you feel about her temperament, the way she carries herself on the court, or this serenity that I think seems always surrounded? Don't you find that appealing uh, yeah. as well as well as her game? Talk about the, the person and the player. Well, I'm a big fan of hers um, all the way around, her tennis and and the kind of person. I mean, I'm so impressed with her as a person, you know, when she speaks of, um, and she's, you know, very supportive of certain causes. And I mean, she's, she's, she really um, is very, okay. She's very thoughtful about certain issues and it's, she's just not a tennis machine that just plays tennis. She's, she's thoughtful in other aspects of her life. Um, I think her parents have done a great job. She comes from a really solid, stable family environment. And boy, that helps. Um, and, and as far as her tennis is concerned, yes, people have been, you know, is this going to be the year? Is, I mean, people have been trying to rush her because she just came out with a bang at Wimbledon when she beat Venus. I mean, it was like, oh, my God, this girl could win a major in two years. But it's been, what, four years, and, and if I'm right. And yeah. um you know, she is the she is one of the 10 or 15, definitely, that you, that could win a major. Uh, I, you know, she's getting bigger and stronger and you can tell she's doing a lot of work in the gym because she's she's really looks strong. And I think it's helping her the movement and her power in her game. Um, but, uh, you know. it's just hard. It's just hard to tell. It's hard to tell. She's, I like that the improvement has been gradual. She's working so hard. She's got a good coach. She's got, you know, everybody's telling her the right things. Um, and, and she is improving gradually, which is probably the healthiest way to, to improve. Um, and, and when she's ready and she's ready to go get it, which it might not be a physical thing as much as a emotional mental thing when she's ready to go get it and bring, you know, win a, win a slam. Uh, she will, she will, but I see her winning multi multi slams. I don't see her just, you know, there've been a couple of players in the past that have won one slam and it's hard for them to, to win it in this, their second one. And I think, I think once um, Coco wins one, though, I, I see her winning a handful no argument from uh, Steve or myself on that analysis right there. I, I We appreciate your time. We've been going for a while. The, the last topic we just want to talk about <clears throat> is a little bit of your, the transition to tennis commentary. And, and my question for you is, was this something that you sought out um, after your playing days were over to start trying to commentate and get with networks? Or did, obviously you were so accomplished in your playing career. Um, did networks try to seek you out or, or was it yeah, sort of I a think mutual that- thing? Yeah. I mean, I had a manager, Bob Kane at that time. And, and, you know, that was Jimmy Connors was transitioning into TV after he retired. And I I remember I worked with him at NBC and I worked with John McEnroe at NBC and it was the thing to do. You you know, you, you, it's, it was good money and, you know, it was, it put you out there. And I mean, according to an agent, it was like, good, it was a good thing to do. And I remember working for NBC and I, I, was horrible. I, I really, I got, you know, first of all, there's no training. They just put you in front of a camera and, um, and this was probably whoever I would have gone with ABC, CBS or any, any, it's not NBC in particular, but anybody, 
they just expect you to just kind of rattle off all these, you know, pearls of wisdom. And, you know, well, when I was playing, you know, this is what I was doing, but it's hard. It was, it's hard. It's hard to, it was hard. I don't know. You just, you're really not getting any direction. And, and I think, I think Mary Perillo was the one that really changed commentating because all of a sudden Mary comes along and she's witty and she's funny and she's knowledgeable and she has the stories and she's, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> oh my God, now we have to, she's like the Serena Williams of broadcasting. So, so we all joke about it, you know, Martina and I and, and Tracy and Lindsay and all of us who were, were, you know, tennis players that turned uh, broadcasters, we look at Mary and we go, you know, you can go out of the room, you know, just leave, you know, but at the, we're kidding because we, we all respect her and, and, um, you know, try to be more like her when it comes to commentating, but it's changed a lot. So anyway, I was awful in the beginning. And then I think that having a tennis academy for 20 years, I think that I was learning so much from the coaches at our tennis academy about the new tennis, you know, the top spin and the Western grips and, you know, the kick serves and all the things that we didn't, we didn't have in our day. And I think that I kind of learned the current tennis game and the techniques and the strategies. And, and um, so I had more information in my mind and, and then I had a second go with ESPN and they sought me out and I said, okay, I'll, I'll try Wimbledon one year, you know, just to see if I like it. And I really enjoyed it. And um, so, I mean, I'm just hanging in there, hanging by a thread, but I'm still with ESPN. <laughs> but you know what? Chrissy's leaving out one thing here. It was very difficult for you to retire in 89 and then jump into the booth and you knew all the players, you were still so close. It was, it, it naturally made you a bit inhibited about being critical of players. And I think the second go round, what's really helped, I think, is you had some distance from it and you, and you naturally, you evolved into more of a journalist, analyst journalist. You weren't afraid to criticize constructively. And I think that's one of the reasons why you improve. You're also being a little hard on yourself to say you were horrible back then. I, that's, that's excessive criticism, but I, I own it. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't that good. I wasn't that interesting. I just would say the things that were obvious on that were happening on the court, but you know, then it got into with ESPN, it got more into, they, they were very, um, Jamie Reynolds is our producer. And he was like, you know, really remember how you felt when you walked on center court at Wimbledon and really express that. How does that feel? What is going on in your mind, on in your body? And then also when you win, what does that feel like? So he, you know, I finally had a producer that would, um, you know, give me some, some advice as to insights that I could portray to the audience. And boy, it really, it really helped a lot. But Chrissy, what about, in addition to that, the challenge of working with a Chris Fowler or a Patrick McEnoe or a John yeah. McEnoe yes. or a driver, there's so many other player analysts, different types of people in the booth. How have you had to adjust your approach to work with the different announcers so that you're comfortable in getting your points across with a different partner in the booth? Well, we all like each other. You know, we all like each other and we all respect each other and we're a team. It's not like a competition anymore. I'm not competing against them. They're not competing against me. We, we really genuinely like each other and there's never been 
any two people that haven't gotten along on the ESPN roster, which I'm, I, I love. We support each other and we leave our egos at the door. And when we walk in, it's, and, and we, we try to just have conversations. It's not like, okay, I'm going to one up you on this and this. We just, we try to just have conversations about different thoughts and different things that we're seeing happening on the court. But um, certainly Chris Fowler with his credentials, Chris McKendry with hers. I mean, she's our studio host and, you know, and he's, these are, these are, these are really pros, you know, and we're amateurs compared to them. So we, we continue to learn a lot from, from them. And how much do you learn? Do you go back after these telecasts? Do you have a sense immediately after leaving the booth? I think I really did a good job on that one or God, I was a little <laughs> off my game this yeah. time. Do you know immediately, or do you have to hear from a Jamie Reynolds or somebody back at the trucks? You know it in your heart right away. Yeah, I know. I know if I do good work and I know if I'm flat and I know if I'm not having a good day. But yeah, if I, I know when I'm doing good. Well, I mean, because it's very the messages I'm getting across are very genuine and very insightful. And, um, you know, I just I just try to to describe my emotions and my feelings and what I'm seeing on the court. I try to give. You know, we have, we all former tennis players do have wisdom and do have experience of a lot um, that versus if someone's commentating and wasn't a player, you know, and so we can bring that to the table. But I know I get a feeling I don't need anybody to tell me you did a great job. I mean, I don't need that. Um, I, I just need to feel good inside and I'm, I'm, I'm happy if I do a good job and I'm really disappointed if I'm flat and the thoughts aren't coming as quickly, you know, as I, as so I'm, com I, I'm competitive with myself maybe, but um, it's just cause I want to do good work and I want to, and you know, you, you just feel like, look, the, the stars are the players, the stars are the match, but you, you do want feel responsibility that you want to try to enhance the match a little bit and you want the viewer to enjoy also what they're hearing much as what they're seeing. Very well said. Thank you. We've been going a long time, Christy, and we appreciate your time. You know, something uh, that we norm normally don't do is we talk about personal stuff on this podcast. We normally stick to tennis and um, I've been privileged to know Steve for a number of years now. And now Chrissy, you've obviously known Steve for a lot longer than me. Um, and we both got to know how Steve feels about his father. And we've heard so many great stories that Steve has shared about his father. Um, for those that don't know, Steve's father recently passed away. And um, while it's obviously very, very sad, this is also a celebration of an amazing, amazing man. Made it to 98 years old. And, and Steve, I'll, I'll leave it with you to say a few words about truly a, a remarkable, remarkable man. Well, it's interesting because Chrissy and I were texting the other day and she said, how, how are you doing with your father's passing? And I said, well, I have my moments. You know, I, I find myself can start to break down a little here and there, but overall I'm holding up well. And she, she said, you know, you, you got to remember you, you had him for a long time, you, you know, and, and that sort of put into perspective for me along with my own thinking that if you can live to 70, and still have a, uh, your father alive with you and in good shape most of that time, alert and informative and just so inspiring. I have nothing to complain about. And I'm, I'm also happy for him that he 
he uh, he had such good health for about 95 of those years. And the last three were not bad either, but there was almost nothing until he was 95. So, and the other thing I just want to tack onto that is he, he, he was so important to me in becoming a reporter because he was a reporter, not a tennis reporter. He was an all purpose. He worked for Life Magazine. He worked for the Today Show. He did things in the media that were really outstanding. And, and he was a, a very gifted writer. So as I was getting into the business, he was such a big help to me, you know, critiquing my pieces. And, and he introduced me to Bud Collins when I was 17. So all of these things are what I remember now and what I'm so grateful for is, and, and having had, had him as a father. Very fortunate. Beautifully said, Stephen. For those that want to see uh, the the obituary in the New York Times the other day was beautifully written, and you could see it's just a snapshot of of the accomplishments that Steve's father uh, accomplished in his life. It was truly remarkable. And Steve, thank you for sharing that both with Chrissy and myself, and obviously the <clears throat> listeners. Um, with that said, Chrissy, thanks again um, for spending time. And Australian Open is just around the corner, so thank you, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, David. Thank you, Steve. Thank, thank you, Chris. Thank you. Enjoyed it.